Pastor Xavier Reese and the mark of a true Christian. Now notice the practice of the new man is each one speak truth with his neighbor. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Now they shouldn't have, but they did. Peter says, why have you considered in your heart to lie, not to man, but to God? When we lie, sure we may lie to a man or a woman, but we're lying to God that we're Christians. And we're living a lie. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You've heard the promises, 10 steps to becoming a better person, how to win friends and influence people, think and grow rich. Perhaps, but all the self-help programs can't do what God's Word can do, change you from the inside out. Today, as he continues his series from the book of Ephesians, Pastor Xavier brings us to the heart of true redemption. Here he is with today's study. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. The message is entitled, The New Man in Action. Paul the Apostle has given to the Ephesians a tremendous contrast between the person who doesn't know God and the person who does, from verses 17 through 24. The old man is spiritually dead and depraved in nature, while the new man is created according to what God is himself in righteousness and true holiness. Paul now moves from the general command of putting off the old man and putting on the new man to very specific sins that are to be put off on a daily basis, and he gives them to us from verse 25 through 32. You see, the believer is to walk worthy of his calling in unity because of the one body, the one God, and putting away every work of the flesh as it rears its ugly head. All of this is by virtue of the fact that we have been endowed with certain things. The believer has been endowed with the Spirit of God, chapter 4, verse 3. The believer has been given grace according to the measure of Christ, chapter 4, verse 7. And the believer has been blessed with a church to grow, mature, and develop for the building up of the saints in chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. And each believer has been equipped by virtue of the grace and the gift and the endowment of the knowledge of God that each can contribute to the building up of the body as God has called us, verses 15 and 16. So all that he requires has been given. Now, too often when a person is confronted in a generalized form and generalities, there is no real confrontation or accountability. And so Paul pinpoints particular sins that need to be reckoned dead daily. Too often, people don't want to confront the issues. They want to escape them, or they want to cap out the grace. Well, we're all forgiven. Wait a minute. There's issues we have to deal with, and it has to be done. Other people get upset because you deal with specific things, but the Bible has very specific things. We have to deal with them. Our sin nature is ever-present until the day we die. We need to understand that. A Christian, though born again, can live in a carnal state, even as Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. You're carnal, even as babes in Christ. Now, these sins are not demons that need to be cast out of Christians, okay? These are works of the flesh identified in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same vessel. So if you're a child of God, these are not demons. These are just works of the flesh that you refuse to put to death and you're copying out and using grace and spiritual scriptures to justify yourself. This kind of doctrine comes and goes in the church every once in a while. 
Greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same vessel. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. You cannot do that which you wish. Galatians 5, 17. And so putting off, putting on. Just like a garment. Just like a jacket. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Reach his ugly head. Take it off. Put on the new man. It implies ability throughout. And so Paul lists for us some vices that are to be put off on a daily basis and replaced by certain virtues, vices versus virtues, in view of putting on that new man, which is according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Now, each of these is given in the negative, then it's replaced by the positive virtue, and then it's, it's given a reason for it. And we're going to follow this pattern. Let's begin with the first one here as I read the scriptures. Chapter 4, verse 25 on down. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steal or stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who need, has need. Let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, the first thing that he mentions, the believer is not to lie. Verse 25. Notice the practice of the old man is in the negative. Putting away lying. Quoting Zechariah 8.16. Now, the list begins with the word therefore, which is the conclusion based on all that has preceded. This is the sum total of everything from verse 17 to 24. And the word lying simply means falsehood. The command is not based on man's ethical or moral code, but on God's holiness. So we, we don't want to make sure we don't confuse morality and godliness. Uh, God cannot lie. I can lie. But I now have the ability not to lie by virtue of my new birth. We should not confuse this again with godliness and morality. There are good moral pagans out there. There are a few, not many, but there are some. And some of these good moral pagans put some Christians to shame. But we must make a distinction between a person that's moral and a person that's godly. A person that's godly is doing it by virtue of the Spirit of God who has made him new. A person of morality is doing it by the standard of conscience and loss. There's a distinction. Now notice the practice of the new man in the positive is each one speak truth with his neighbor. And the word truth again means that which is true in content opposed to that which is false or deceitful. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And we are his children. We are to be children of truth. The one truth and the one who is to speak truth is the one who is born again. And the one to whom is to be declared to is the neighbor. Remember Jesus, the lawyer said, who's my neighbor? <laughs> and he gave the pair of the Good Samaritan, right? So in other words, he might be my next door neighbor, my co-worker, uh, my friend, or whoever asks me for reason of the hope that lies in me with meekness and fear. I'm to deal with truth. Whoever is the one I'm being confronted with or talking to, he's my neighbor. 
I have to deal with truth at all times. I cannot divide my life as, well, this is religious and this is just my personal life. Either you are light or you are darkness. Either you are a Christian or you're not. You're not just to tell truth while you're in this building, and then when you walk out, you lie like a dog. Um, you know, that, that's inconsistent. Now, notice he gives the reason. The reason is basic, for we are what? Members of one another. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. He's told us that in chapter 1, verse 23. In chapter 4, verse 4, he told us we have one spirit, one body, one Lord. He's told us that we are many members in one body by the illustration of the body in 1 Corinthians 12, hands, feet. We're all individuals, but it's one body. And for that reason, truth is imperative. Truth is imperative. We are interdependent and interrelated. Therefore, we need one another and we affect one another. Being interdependent, we need one another. I need you, you need me. Being interrelated, we affect one another. You affect me, I affect you. Never forget that. That's very simple. No man sins to himself. The Bible says we affect others. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, they shouldn't have, but they did. Perfect example. Peter says, why have you considered in your heart to lie, not to man, but to God? When we lie, sure, we may lie to a man or a woman, but we're lying to God if we're Christians. And we're living a lie. Lying brings distrust and loss of confidence in a person. Lies between two people that are going to be married can be devastating if those lies are found out after the marriage, having feelings of deception and entrapment. Things hidden about one's past can undermine the marriage, if not destroy it altogether sometimes. It just happens because we're people. We never know how people are going to respond, and I think it's dishonest. If we want a disclaimer when we buy a car, we certainly should think of that even when a person we're committing ourselves to the whole lifestyle, Right? I mean, if someone says that the car is new and we find out it has 15,000 miles on it, we get pretty upset when we find out, right? How much more when we're entering marriage for a lifetime, if we're going to give our, our life to each other, that we be upright and not dishonest. The outcome of being light to results in doubt about the truthfulness of everything else known about that person. Suspicions end up taking hold of that life. And pretty soon, you don't know what was true and what was false. Some women and men know that if they had been truthful prior to their marriage, their mates would not have married them. And now they have to live with that mate knowing that. That's a horrible position to be in. Now God's grace is there, and if there's truthfulness, you may have to go through some difficult times, but if you work through it, God is more than able. But man, there has to be some dying to self, and there has to be some acknowledgement. See, so often the guilty party says, well, you know, Jesus forgave you, and that's true. We're going to get into that. But you can't cop out and force your dishonesty on someone else, and you've laid a burden on them. You need to humble yourself. You need to acknowledge. You need to make sure that they know that you are telling the truth for the sake of your marriage relationship. You better make sure you have full confidence in that person. And whatever you have to do to make them know that you're telling the truth, absolute truth. And once you're asked to tell the truth, don't go lie again. Because if you do, it undermines the relationship even more. It's wrong, it's dishonest, it's deceptive, it's dishonorable. Lying can be done in many ways. Exaggerations, distortions, half-truths, withholding information. 
Well, you never asked, really. Some things are real obvious. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight, Proverbs 12, 22 says. Truth is costly at times, but it is always the biblical thing to do as a Christian. On the negative side, truth can cost you your job. It can cost you a friendship. It may even cost you your marriage. But you have to be truthful. On the positive side, truth results in trust. If you're truthful, then trust can be restored. Truth results in oneness. Truth results in fellowship and unity. And it results, this is the best of it, in peace. If a person or your husband and wife does not have peace in their heart about your truthfulness, that marriage is always under attack. You need to understand that. You need to be truthful. Now, the environment of church is to be truth. And so Matthew 18 gives us the word to confront each other in truth. If a member of the family has something against us, we're to go to him by one, by two, by three, dealing with truth. We don't just sweep things under the carpet in the church or in our homes. We deal with things with truth. We do it in the spirit of meekness, gentleness, Galatians 6, 1. And this will keep people from thinking they can get away with lies within the church. Everybody's accountable. If churches ran their churches by Matthew 18, there would be a, a lot better unity. There would be more efficiency. And there would be less room for hypocrites and liars to hide within the crown. Because when they would come to you, you confront them. You're telling them a message. We do not tolerate gossip or lies around here. That's very important. And the same in your home. Now notice, secondly, the believer is not to be angry. Verse 26. Now, that's a natural response of lying, right? When you find out somebody lies to you, how do you feel? Oh, I just get the warm fuzzies over that person? No. You get mad. Boy, you hate them. You, they, they've lied to you. How dare they? And then when they try to lay it off, it's adding insult to injury. Notice first, the practice of the old man is the negative. Be angry and do not sin, quoting Psalm 4.4. The negative result is a positive action. The potential of the believer to sin in anger is ever-present. It means habitual anger. The context is righteous anger against sin. There is righteous anger. Jesus went to the temple in the Gospels, and he turned over the tables. Why? Because they were prostituting the gift of the temple, right? There is righteous anger that you would get righteously angry at somebody molesting a child, raping a woman, robbing somebody of their car. Righteous anger. But the thing is that that only goes a certain distance with righteous anger. The Lord, all through the Scripture, says His righteous anger was poured upon people. Nothing wrong with that. But notice the practice of the new, new man here is the positive. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. But before that, He gives you another positive by the negative. Do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. The negative brings about a positive. So I am able to be righteously angry, but I can't let it go beyond that righteous anger lest it become sin to me. So recognizing that, I will not move into sin against God. And here again, the second one is that I do not let the sun go down. The word wrath, again, there means to provoke, to irritate, to exasperate. It is the very same word that Paul was used in chapter 6, verse 4, about parents not provoking their children to wrath. Same word. This is a wrong type of anger which prompts me to dwell and to rehearse an incident that leads me to sin. 
The expression of not letting the sun go down is not an expression of literalness at all times. It means to deal with one's anger as soon as it goes beyond what? What's the context? Righteous anger. You and I know the minute that I'm, I'm righteously angry, and there's nothing wrong with that, but then I know the minute it starts going into, boy, I like to get that sucker, boy, I do that, you know, that's, uh-oh, you're moving into sin. We know. It certainly means that I'm not to be angry beyond the point of sundown. So if you want to take a literalness, it's this. Don't go to bed angry without resolving the issues. How many of you ever gone to bed angry? You rest pretty good? I don't think so. You probably got up madder than when you went to bed. Okay, it's no good. We know by science that a lot of the diseases upon our bodies is because of tension, because of stress, because of bad thoughts, because of bitterness, because of anger, because of many other things. Now notice the reason. The reason is spiritual wisdom. Nor give place to the devil. Verse 27. Don't give a foothold to the devil. To not resolve my wrath when I know it is causing me to think evil or ungodly things is to sin against God. Okay? And from there I go to man. To not confront and hopefully resolve my anger before the day is over is to give opportunity to the devil, who is the slanderer. That's what the word means. Devil, slander, To provoke my flesh and I give him ammunition to cause me to think evil. So I have to resolve the issues. How do I do it? First with God, I acknowledge. Then I go to the person, and I have to resolve it. You have any resolution, specifically as husband and wife, you do whatever you have to to make sure that your husband and wife knows and is settled in whatever is happening. Or otherwise, you give a foothold to the enemy to destroy and to work on your marriage. He will talk with you. Absolutely. And he'll draw your flesh out. Remember Cain? He was angry towards Abel. He didn't resolve it. And God says, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But sin lies at the door, like a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey. And it wants to master you. You have to resolve it with God, then with the person. And be thoroughly resolved and know that truth has been said and finalize it. But it has to be received and acknowledged and settled this truth. Very much. In my anger, I am not righteous. It will lead me to sin. In God's righteous anger, it will lead me to honor God. You who love the Lord hate evil, Psalm 97, 10 says. Moses was angry when he came down from the mountain, righteous anger, and he broke the tablets. God didn't get mad at him. But then Moses got mad and struck the rock, and God got mad at him. There's a difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. He didn't go into the promised land. Our anger is not due to our nationality. It's not because you're Latin. It's not because you're Italian. It's because you're a sinner. That's a cultural cop-out. Well, you know, I'm just Latin. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> it has nothing to do with your race or your culture. Our anger is not due to that. We're sinners by nature. Now, if it is unrighteous anger, then I need to deal with it, right? I need to acknowledge and confess before God, 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then I need to confront the individual to get right with him so I can be right with God also completely. I'm to leave my gift at the altar, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. 
Go get right, then come back and worship. I'm to overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21 says. Now, if I've done that and that person doesn't want to get right, I've done all that I can on my part. I release that person and I continue my relationship with Jesus Christ and continue to pray. Hopefully, it'll be reconciled. But I've got to attempt to get right. I'm not to help Satan to destroy my witness of who I am, a believer. I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says. I know who he is. I know what he wants to do. I know how he works. I'm to resist him, draw nigh to God, and he will flee the promises in James 4, 7. I've got to do both. If I just resist and draw nigh, I'm dead. If I draw nigh but don't resist, I'm dead. I've got to resist and draw nigh. I'm to know that Satan is seeking whom he may devour, like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. I am to know that I'm born into warfare. It's not an option. Ephesians 6, 10 on down. I am born into warfare. So you've got to fight the good fight. Notice thirdly, the believer is not to steal. Verse 28. The practice of the old man is again in the negative. Let him who stole steal no longer. The command implies there has been a change from the old to the new man. The command also implies that we can still steal as Christians. The command may even imply the very practice by some in the church of Ephesus as the rest of these offenses. Notice the practice of the new man is replaced by the positive now. Let him labor, working what? With his hands, what is good. And the word labor means to grow weary by strenuous fatigue to the point of exhaustion. There are a lot of lazy people in the church. <laughs> the church seems to attract people who um, uh, take their spiritual relationship with God as a cop-out for working. That should never be. The word working means to work, to labor by trade, to do business. So the individual is to work honestly with his own hands. What is good instead of using his hands to steal and do what is bad. There's the contrast. He used to use his hands to take somebody's property. Now he uses his hands to gain property. He used to do what was bad. Now he does what is good. The contrast is all through there. Some people think that work is a curse. No, the curse is thistles and thorns. And that labor is hard, but work is good. God always intended Adam to work. He was to keep the garden. People who don't work get in trouble. <laughs> I think work is good. You can take work too far and become a workaholic, and then it destroys you and destroys your family. But work is good. Now, notice the reason, once again, is given to be kind towards others that we may have something to give to him who has need. We used to be takers by our nature, being spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. That was natural. You ever see little kids out in the yard? They go over to their friend's house. They come back with a new toy. It's not because they're givers, they're takers. Where'd you get that, Johnny? I don't know. Where'd you find it? I don't know. Then Johnny's mom comes down the street and says, hey, your son took my... Interesting. We are to become givers by our divine nature in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. We are able to give now. We are to be sensitive to those who have need and are less fortunate. Paul the Apostle said in Acts 2035 that he worked with his own hands to provide for those who didn't have that were with him.
The word to give means to distribute personally rather than simply donating to an agency. Don't be satisfied in saying, well, I gave at the office. <laughs> Make sure you're involved tangibly and personally so that God can minister unto you and you live in touch with the people of the world and not remove from them. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of hands-on ministry that impacts the world. And he has more to talk about when it comes to the message, The New Man in Action. You can always request a copy on CD for only $4. And be sure and share a copy with someone in your church or Bible study. And once again, the title to ask for is The New Man in Action, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. This is the best way we can track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's one of man's most destructive weapons? And that's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 